Please turn again in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. We're thinking this morning on the first four verses, uh, where we have this version of the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last Sunday, we were considering what our great need is, as we looked at the story of Mary and Martha together. Our great need is to sit at Jesus' feet and be taught by him. Uh, that is stressing, of course, the uh, being under the Word of God, hearing the Bible expounded, being built up in our faith, being brought to Jesus through understanding the Gospel. <clears throat> but there is another side, isn't there, of communion with God, fellowship with God, uh, a relationship with God, uh, walking with our Saviour, and that is not just uh, hearing him, but speaking to him. And so if hearing God is being attentive to his word in our private devotions and in the, the gatherings when we hear the word expounded, then speaking to God is, in, is our prayer life. And any relationship needs to have that kind of communication. We are spoken to, we hear, and we speak uh, to the one we love the one with whom we have a relationship. <clears throat> I wonder if you've got memories of, of listening to uh, perhaps a, a preacher uh, in prayer or someone uh, that, that, was, uh, that you knew who clearly walked with God and, and just listening to that person pray made you think to yourself, if only I could pray in the way that he does or she does. Uh, I can think of several uh, memories like that. One of them that stands out is when I was a student in Aberdeen and went to the church of uh, the Reverend William Still and uh, he was well known as a Bible expositor. He was quite well known for his radical views on simplifying church life. But for me the thing that stood out was the power of his praying. Remember in particular one time uh, coming uh, late to church and standing in the vestibule of the church and hearing uh, Mr. Stowe's praying being relayed through the loudspeaker and just feeling that as this godly man prayed, as he communed with God, as he led us into the Holy of Holies, there was something very, very special happening. What it would have been like to have been with the Lord Jesus and to hear him pray. Little wonder that the disciples came to him and asked Jesus, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. When you become a Christian, when you're a new Christian, you want to pray. It's, it's part of that new thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It's a, it's a new desire that we have, we want to pray. It's one of the evidences of a person becoming a Christian, that they've got a desire to pray. But at the same time, we feel the difficulties of praying. And of course, that's not just true of those of us who are new Christians or relatively uh, new Christians. It's true of all of us. We feel our own inadequacies keenly. And we're so glad that there was this anonymous disciple who asked Jesus, teach us to pray, and that Jesus gave instructions as to how they were to pray, because if we can be taught to pray, then we can 
advance in our praying. It can be a little bit uh, disheartening to be taught that prayer is simply a spontaneous thing that happens. Uh, But to know that we can legitimately struggle in prayer and can learn how to pray, I think that's an encouragement to us all. We want to advance in our praying. We want to learn from what Jesus has to say to us about praying. Sometimes, you know, when when you're trying to pray, you just feel that your prayers are are getting nowhere. They're going no further than the the ceiling of the room in which you're praying. Uh, The Puritans, these great uh, 17th century uh, men and women of God, they, they used to say, pray, keep on praying until you begin to pray. Just pray until you break through, until you, you get through. Pray until you pray. We call this the Lord's Prayer, and it's, uh, it's a useful name. It's not entirely accurate, because uh, the one person who would never have prayed this himself was the Lord, because he never had a need to ask for his sins to be forgiven. Uh, probably it would be more accurate to call it the disciples' prayer. Uh, There are two versions in the New Testament. There's a version in Matthew chapter 6, and it's the one that we're familiar with, the one that's sometimes used in church. It's the fuller version. But if you think about it, uh, if Jesus used this as a a template, then it was very likely done on different occasions. And as a template, it would have been abbreviated or enlarged uh, according to the need of the hour. And so it's not... Uh, Not surprising that we find two different uh, versions, two different forms of it. Uh, The prayer uses plural pronouns. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive our sins, and so on. And because of that, it's been used down through the ages as a corporate prayer in the church. And that is fine, of course, so long as it's not used unthinkingly, when we use any prayer, any form of words, any passage from Scripture uh, in an unthinking way, then we lapse into what Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing, uh, heaping up vain repetitions. So we, we start to use words as though they were a kind of incantation. We're not thinking about what we're saying. Uh, but of course, that, that can be true of anything. And there would be folk who, who would... <laughs> who would reject the use of the Lord's Prayer in public worship, who themselves could be equally guilty of vain repetition because they have a form of words themselves which they use unthinkingly and which they trot out. And so it's more a case of how we pray and how we utilise words in our praying. I'm sure each one of us this morning, if we're really honest, if we look at our own prayer life, we will want to to advance, we'll want to learn uh, from what Jesus says to us this morning about uh, how we are to pray. And if we take to heart some of the simple uh, lessons that we have from the Lord's Prayer, then the potential is there to revolutionise our prayer life. There's lessons, first of all, in regard to our attitude, the attitude with which we come in prayer, and secondly, the things for which we should pray. First of all, the the attitude with which we come to pray. The striking feature of the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus tells us to address God as Father. When you pray, Say, 
Father. Father. Now that is a wonderful privilege. A wonderful privilege. A beautiful relationship that's encapsulated there. That we can address God as Father. And to do that in a special way. See, there's a general sense in which everyone uh, knows God as their Father. Thinking of what uh, is said in Malachi chapter 2 verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? There's that general sense in which God has fathered the universe. Uh, he has brought all things into being. All the planets, uh, all the, the suns, the stars. They, there was no auto-creation. It was God who spoke the word and worlds came into being. And it is God who gives life to every individual. He brings to uh, birth every human life and nurtures us from uh, conception. God is Father in that great sense, even to people who do not acknowledge him as Father. He is Father to all. But there's another sense, there's a, a particular sense, there's a relational sense in which God is our Father. Because of our sin, we reject God and keep him at arm's length. We've left the one true family. We're estranged from God. We've placed ourselves outside his love. And so when the Bible speaks uh, usually of us knowing God as Father, it is speaking about a, a great change that has taken place in our relationship with God. Uh, John puts it uh, in the first chapter of his gospel, he says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. There comes a, a time in the lives of certain people, a, a time of favour, of God's favour, when God, through the working of his Holy Spirit, stands and, and beckons a person to trust in Jesus, his son, as their saviour, to receive his finished work on the cross as the work done for them, to receive that forgiveness, to know that redemption, to know that they have been brought from darkness into light and from the world into the family of God. And that makes all the difference. And friend, if you don't know that, if you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus in that sense, then uh, truly you can't pray this prayer in its fundamental sense because you don't yet know the Father. And so before anything else, I, I'd urge anyone who is in that place to trust in Christ, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know God as Father. It's the most important, the most basic need that we have. Uh, because it's only after we know the joy of sins forgiven and peace with God that we can then pray meaningfully and lovingly this prayer which begins in this way, Father. And that's a huge privilege. Think about it. You who know God as Father, who can come in your prayer, when you're in your room, when you're kneeling by the side of your bed and your first word that you utter in prayer is Father you're speaking to the Holy God 
He's the one, the writer to the Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. Think of the, the privilege that we have over and above what they had in the Old Testament. Think of what it was like uh, to meet with God in the Old Testament. The high priest went into the, the place they called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. The tabernacle, a, a movable tent made of hides. And in the, within the tent of meeting there was uh, a, another tent and within that the Holy of Holies. The place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God met with the high priest once a year with the blood of sacrifice. And when the high priest went in, he was arrayed in his priestly garments and on his garments were bells. And it was thought that the bells were on the garments so that they would know if it ever happened that the priest was struck dead in the presence of God because the bells would cease to ring. Such was the dread of being in the awesome presence of God. Should a priest go in without having had sin atoned for by the shedding of blood? He would have been struck dead in the presence of God. It is this holy God, the God whose purer eyes are to look on sin, who now says to us, to call him Father, who brings us into this intimacy, this close relationship, so that we, we use the word that uh, Jewish children would use when they, they ran to their daddy. Whenever they fell and they grazed their knee, they would run to their daddy saying, Abba, Abba. Jesus is saying, pray like that when you come. What an immense privilege. What should we ask our Father for? And what should we ask for first? What are our priorities in prayer? What are life's most important things? Jesus teaches us uh, to pray first of all that God's purposes should be worked out in the world. And so the first two requests are that God's name should be hallowed and that his kingdom might come. Now, immediately, this is so important. Uh, I mean, if we're honest, if we were to, to ransack the contents of our prayers, when we pray to God, are we not always praying for ourselves first? Uh, or we're, we've got some request for someone uh, that's, that's sick or unwell, and we're praying for them because they, they matter to us. But really, uh, it's, it's our own agenda, isn't it? So often. And Jesus is saying, you need a revolution in your prayer life. You need to have a, a reversal of priorities. You need to have God's agenda up front. Because if you have God's agenda up front, then everything else will find its own place. And so pray that God's name will be hallowed and that his rule will be extended in the world. And if you look at any of the big prayers in the Bible, if you look at uh, Hannah's prayer, Nehemiah's prayers, David's prayers, Hezekiah's prayer, Paul's prayers, and so on, they are distinguished in the fact that they begin with God, and they're concerned with God's purpose. And when they pray for other people, it's that God's purpose of being glorified in lives should be 
fulfilled in the circumstances that people are going through. People's happiness is really not such a big deal in the prayers of the Bible. Now, the Lord's Prayer is a very brief prayer, uh, and that's fine. If we just prayed it, that would be fine. But our prayer life would be very short, it would be very uh, concise. And clearly what Jesus is giving us here is, is a skeleton. And in our prayer life, uh, just as, as Martin Luther was suggesting to, to his friend Peter the Barber, we flesh out the, the skeleton, the, the bare bones of the Lord's Prayer. So if we were to use the Lord's Prayer in, in our own private prayer uh, as, as kind of headings, then we would want to unpack, as it were, what each heading is indicating. So when we're praying, hallowed be your name, then we're praying that God's, God would be honoured. To hallow something means, uh, it's got nothing to do with Halloween or, or anything like that, it means that... Uh, Something is, is made sacred, reverent. Now that's certainly true of the name itself. The name God. Think of how, how God's name is, is abused in everyday language. That, that expression that you hear all the time. Uh, when people say, oh my God. They're not... They're not speaking uh, of any relationship that they have with God. They're, they're using it simply as a mindless filler. God is dishonored in such ways. We're praying that people would, would cease from, from such use of his word. We want God's name always to be spoken with reverence and with, with love rather than slipping off the tongue or even worse, used in anger as a curse. We want his name to be honoured. But it's more than just a name. Uh, the name stands for the being and the character of God. Uh, it's like when we speak of someone's good name. We're speaking of their reputation, not, not their, their, their uh, Christian name and their surname. We're speaking about their reputation, all that they are. And we're wanting in our praying that God's reputation at large would be great, that he would be glorified and that he would be glorious. Now, of course, the, the atheists, the critics, uh, they respond, well, what, what kind of God is it that wants to be worshipped, that wants glory to himself? And they find it monstrous that God should have this as, as, as his end in all that he does, as his purpose in all that he does. And that simply reveals they have no conception of the greatness and glory of God, this God before whom uh, men and women down through the ages have fallen and trembled uh, before him. The God, the one true God, uh, who must be hallowed, who must be revered, who must be given worth, otherwise uh, there is no meaning to anything else. Uh, his worth is what uh, brings everything else uh, into uh, perspective. His perfection demands that uh, his worship, his glory, his majesty should be visible and recognized. Now, if God is to be uh, seen as worthy in that sense, 
then it means also that we should live a life in such a way that people will see the Lord in us and give him honour. Uh, if Christians don't live consistently, then God's name is blasphemed. Uh, Paul will say that of the, of the Jews and Romans. Because of them, uh, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. God's name is dishonoured when we are dishonest in our activity or unkind in our, our relationships. Uh, we bring uh, God's name into disrepute. We are God's representatives. Uh, praying in the honour of God uh, means that we live consistently in a way that brings them honour and means also spreading out further from ourselves as individuals that God is honoured in our homes and in our family, that uh, we will be communities that uh, people uh, speak well of, that are good advertisements for God. We move further afield yet and we pray that God will be honoured in the, the community outside our family and outside our church. That we are praying that, that Monklands, for example, Monklands community will be a place where God is habitually honoured. Where his name is spoken often, is heard often and with reverence. Imagine that. Imagine what that means in practice for God's name to be honoured. When you go down to Asda uh, and you're going in through the doors into the store, you're hearing people and they're talking about God and they're reflecting on what they heard perhaps in a sermon and they're sharing it with delight. They're honouring God. God's name is honoured in the community. And when you're on a bus or a train, you're not hearing swearing any longer, but you're hearing people speaking reverently about Jesus, the Saviour. That's what we're praying for when we pray. Hallowed be your name. Pray the honour of the name. Pray in the kingdom. Pray in the kingdom. In the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer, uh, there's a, a Hebrew parallelism. In other words, the first line is uh, repeated and expounded in the second line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is, God's, what is it for God's kingdom to come? It's for his will to be done. To be done as perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, the the angels serve him perfectly. His will is done perfectly. And we pray that his will would be done perfectly here. That his rule would extend. Uh, there's a story told of, of uh, uh, Admiral Lord Nelson uh, after a great victory over the French fleet. The French commander was uh, taken across to Nelson's boat. Uh, came up the, the ladder onto the boat and walked over to Nelson and extended his hand. Uh, to shake in friendship. Nelson said, Sir, give me your sword and then I will take your hand, which the man did. These are the terms in which Christ uh, comes and receives people to himself. He calls on people to lay down their sword, to end their hostility to God, to surrender, to submit to the rule of God in their lives. And on that basis of complete surrender, we come into the relationship of friends. We take his yoke upon us. We learn of him. We, we come to the obedience of faith. Jesus' rule 
comes into our lives. And so that is what it means to pray your kingdom come. It means, first of all, in our own lives that we're wanting the rule of God in our own lives. So when you pray this prayer, when you use it as a template, when you work out from the various sections and you're praying your kingdom come, think about the battles that you have in your own life, the the besetting sins that you struggle with, and ask the Lord, Lord, may your kingdom come over my bad temper, over my discouraging spirit, over my temptation to dishonesty, over my shoddy workmanship. May your rule extend over that. And then we pray that it may extend in our families. If the others in your families aren't Christians, then pray that you will model for them what it is to be a follower of Jesus and that they will come under his rule also. And if they're Christians, pray that as a family unit, that you will be something that shines for Jesus. Pray for the coming of God's rule in our community. Again, praying over the whole community that's represented by all who gather in Hope Church Coatbridge Sunday by Sunday. Think of the different uh, spheres in which we serve God. Lord, may your rule extend in my school. May it extend in the college where I'm working, in my office, with the people that I'm negotiating with at the present time. In my studies, Lord, may your rule extend there. So that our friends, our circle of relationships, our communities, our people and communities that we're praying for specifically, perhaps we have them listed in our our prayer journal and we're asking the Lord to make the difference, to change people, for people to be converted in our class, in our workplace, in our office. Pray the honour of his name, pray in his kingdom. Thirdly, pray for your needs. God is concerned about our needs. Uh, Naturally, we would begin here. This wouldn't be number three, this would be number one, naturally, if left to our own devices. Uh, And if we did that, then it would be like setting off on a boat with a faulty... uh, Set a, a faulty bearing we would go further and further away from where we should be a beginning with God and his priorities sets us on a right course uh, the things that we have concern about as individuals begin to fall into place and so we ask for our daily bread give us day by day the bread that we need for each day it's such a basic uh, requirement isn't it Most of us aren't in that position of worrying where today's food is going to come from. But there are people in our own community that are in that position. For various reasons, they are really concerned about having simply food. And we can pray that they would look to Jesus for their need. And we can also be part of the answer for their prayer. Uh, stories told about uh, an old woman who had come to a situation like this. She had nothing in the cupboard 
and she was praying to the Lord that the Lord would provide her for the food that she needed that day. And she was praying out aloud and praying earnestly. And while she was praying, there were two teenage boys outside and they were overhearing what she was saying. And they were laughing at what she was saying. And they thought they would play a trick on her and went to the, the grocers and, and bought bread and, and a couple of bottles of milk and went back to the house, left them at the door, knocked the door and ran away. They heard the woman come to the door and take in the, the bread and the milk. And then they heard her uh, exclaim, Lord, thank you for answering my prayer. And then at hearing that, they, they jumped out from their hiding place and mocked the woman. Hi, she said, how stupid you are. It was us that brought this. It wasn't your God at all. And the woman replied, it was God who answered my prayer, even if it was the devil's uh, servants that took it and delivered it, the devil's messenger boys that delivered it. Pray for your needs, pray for the needs of others, pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is quite a sobering uh, article in the Lord's Prayer that our forgiveness is tied in with the fact that we forgive others. Our forgiveness isn't dependent on our forgiving others, as though that were a work that earned us salvation. But according to the Lord's Prayer, it is a necessary fruit of being a forgiven person. A forgiven person is by definition, Jesus says, someone who goes on to forgive others. To be a Jesus person is to be changed into a forgiving person. It's a mark of our genuineness that we are people who forgive others. And I am asking for forgiveness myself. Now, I am, if I am praying this as someone who can pray to God as my Father. I am someone who has been forgiven. When I receive Christ as my Saviour, my sins are categorically forgiven. Why then do I need to ask for forgiveness again? Am I doubting God's word by asking for forgiveness again? It's like the relationship that we have with an earthly father. If we're secure in our relationship with our earthly father, we know he loves us. And yet there, there are things that, that we can do which spoil our relationship and introduce an awkwardness in that relationship. And the only way of getting rid of that awkwardness is to say sorry, to come out with whatever's happened and ask for forgiveness. And that's what we're doing as we ask forgiveness of the Lord. We wanted to keep that relationship with him open. We want to walk in the sunshine of his love. And so we pray for forgiveness. And then finally, I pray my weakness. The last petition uh, doesn't suggest that God is likely to lead us uh, to be tempted because James tells us that God uh, tempts no one. But uh, it's acknowledging our weakness. We're asking God to keep us well away from sources of temptation because we're really weak. We know that we would stumble. We know our hearts, we know our frail. Lord, help me keep clear of places, of situations and of people who would do me no good, uh, who would draw me down. Lord, I pray my weakness.
So, as we see that uh, in very brief overview, we see how the Lord's Prayer can act as, as, a, as a challenge to our priorities. That we, we learn to begin to pray for God's agenda. God's agenda is that he is glorified in his world. And yes, we pray for so-and-so's sore knee. But the, the ultimate uh, desire is that God is glorified through that sore knee. That he's doing something in that person's life above and beyond any relief of their pain. Which he may also be pleased to grant. God's great end is not that we are happy necessarily, but that we are holy. And as we pray for others, we pray in his agenda, his priorities, that his name would be hallowed, that his rule would extend. And he is happy to grant us in his will also the things that aren't so important, but that bless our lives. What a change it would be if we could use this prayer as a prayer revolution to turn our own thinking upside down to pray in God's agenda and use Jesus' words as the template for our daily praying. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word.